0: from uh, a really good night's sleep, but the opposite, actually. So, man, tonight we're going to continue our study looking at the enduring Christian. What does it mean to endure at all times and in all things as as a Christian? So that's what we're going to... We're going to continue our study tonight. This week we're uncovering What it means to be an enduring Christian. Because if we're going to be effective in reaching the lost, we must learn to stand strong in the Lord in the midst of the opposition that we will surely face in life. Man, we can't be ignorant to think that life is just, life's just going to be easy. I always tell my kids this. Nothing good in life ever, ever comes easy. Nothing good in life ever comes easy. And, and I can guarantee you in the Christian life, you're gonna, you're gonna face some opposition. And as such, uh, we've been building a case, looking at the progression that's necessary in the life of a believer in order to stand firm in the Lord. Man, there's some building blocks that we need to get laid down in our life if we want to be an enduring Christian. We've seen how, um, we're never going to be an enduring Christian if we don't first know Christ. Man, I, that's a shocking point, I know. But you're never going to endure in Christ if you don't know Him. You're never going to do it. And we looked at the importance of unfeigned faith and how it is birthed, developed, and demonstrated. And so tonight, we're going to continue. Um, uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to look at a few key components for the enduring Christian and the first thing we're going to look at is how you got to stay grounded. Can you guys hear me? Oh, it's good. Can you hear me now? Cool. So the first thing we're going to look at is how we have to stay grounded. You've got to stay grounded. And then the next thing, my iPad locked me out. The next thing we're going to look at is how, man, we got to receive it and then pass it on. Okay, so our base text is going to be 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. So let's read these. I if you should bump that. One up. Hold on, brother. Let me too. This might help a bit. Alright, are we good now? Check. Okay, cool. So 2 Timothy 2, through Thou therefore, my Son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Alright, so what's our TLDR for the night? What's our too long didn't read? The enduring Christian finds their strength in Christ alone, enabling them to be effective as both a disciple... And disciple maker. Your strength comes from the Lord alone. This is this is the necessary strength that we need to be a disciple that makes disciples. So let's pray. Lord, we come before you tonight. Man, I pray that you would give us a passion, Lord, to, to be, man, not just someone that believes in you, Lord, but someone who, who puts, man, we put our life in your hands. God, and we understand that our strength comes from you alone. And that we understand that, the, the, man, our best shot at, at following Jesus with our lives is, is to, man, is to be a disciple that makes disciples. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us tonight. I pray that we would, man, that we would uh, not leave this place tonight the same way in which we walked in. Lord, we want to respond to what you're showing us. So, I pray that we would respond tonight accordingly. And, God, we love you. To your name, we pray, Amen. Okay, so we got to stay grounded. That's the first thing. The first point for study is that, man, if we if we want to succeed in the Lord, we got to stay grounded in the Lord. Because Second Timothy two one says, "Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus." And so, what do I what is it? What do I mean by being grounded? Okay, so I'm going to read. I I like definitions. I don't know if you if you figured that out yet, but Words mean things, and I want to I want to make sure that we are on the on the same page. For, with whenever I say grounded, I want you to know what I'm saying. Okay, so according to the Cambridge Dictionary, this is the seriously this is the definition. Someone who is grounded makes good decisions and does not say or do stupid things. Okay, to be grounded, it's someone who is grounded makes good decisions. And does not say or do stupid things. Man, I need to be grounded. I used to get grounded a lot as a teenager. Maybe that's where that maybe that's where that comes from. According to the American Dictionary, ground it means to settle in first principles, to fix firmly. So we got to fix our feet firmly on Christ. Man, we got to stay firm on Christ. He's got to be the ground on which we build upon. So let's read 2 Timothy 2 1 one more time. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If we are to be strong in the grace in Jesus, then we must realize that we don't have any strength. So the first thing we're gonna we're gonna look at here is, man, you've got to realize that you're weak. I don't know if you have figured this out already or not, but you have no strength in and of yourself. Man, we're weak. We're beggarly. And I can tell you don't believe me, man. Some of you think that you're strong. Uh, and, and I get it. But uh, have you, has anybody in here tried not eating food for a few days? Anybody ever tried that? Okay. Let's, uh, who, who, has, who has not eaten food for like two hours before? I mean, I think we've all not done that today, right? Who has not eaten food for 24 hours? Okay. What about 48? Okay. Is, is it... What, what are you thinking about at the end of 48 hours? Food. You can't stop thinking about food, right? And then you take it to 72 hours. And you know what you're thinking about? Food. Life doesn't matter anymore. I just want to eat. There's nothing else important in life anymore. And, and you know what happens? After missing a few meals, it becomes very apparent how fragile we really are, man. Man, you take the richest individual. Is Elon the richest person in the world right now? Elon. Okay, it was Bill Gates. I mean, whoever. We'll just say Elon because everybody's familiar with the Elon. You you take Elon and you you don't give him any food for a couple of days? Elon's nobody, man. We we can't even exist without the provision of the Lord, man. I'm telling you, if you want to find out how weak you are, just don't eat some food for a little bit. Psalm 6.2 tells us this, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. Oh Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed, man. David must have been at the end of a long fast here, because he's he's feeling it, man. I'm weak. Now, this is. If you, do you guys know anything about David, you guys heard of King David before? He's the king of Israel, man. If anyone would have a fa- a false sense of stability, it would most certainly be royalty. You understand that? If I were the king of of the world power of the time. Man, I would have a hard time telling the Lord that I'm weak, man. But David understood he was weak. Even mighty King David exclaimed, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. This is a man that understands where true strength comes from. You did not save yourself and you cannot sustain yourself. You understand that? Just because you've met Christ doesn't mean that you don't still need Christ in your daily life. And don't think just because you've been following the Lord for a season that you've got it under control. The Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians 10-12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Man, that's the the greatest trick the devil likes to play on us believers, man. We get in a, a fruitful season... We begin following the Lord and things begin to start working out in our lives, man. We start growing in the Lord. And we think we figured something out. Man, we think, man, I've got it all under control. I finally got my life together. Failing to realize that it was actually the Lord that got my life together. It was the Lord that got me to this place. Man, be careful. Take heed to stand lest ye fall. And so, I want to look at a story um, of one of my favorite Bible characters. His name is Mephibosheth, right? He's, and, and in 2 Samuel, we're going to see, uh, see a, a beautiful picture laid out for us. Um, and so, just a little bit of backstory on Mephibosheth. I'm going to try to be as simple as I can with this. Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan. And Jonathan was the son of King Saul. So, King Saul was the very first king uh, that the nation of Israel ever had. The the people were calling for a king. The Israelites wanted a king, like everyone else, and God was like, "No, I'm your king, man. You don't you don't need a king. I'm your king." But they still cry, they cried out, and so Samuel anoints this guy Saul as king, and he had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan had, had a son named Mephibosheth. Okay, and, and David with David and Jonathan were like they were tight. Uh, they were they were, you know, BFFs. And so Jonathan, his son was named Mephibosheth. So hopefully that's clear as mud for you. But what you gotta understand is um, Saul hated David. He tried to kill him numerous times. And so, man, we've got this complex story going on. So we're gonna pick up um, in the middle of it. And as we read, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to see yourself as Mephibosheth. Okay? And I want you to, to look at David. As Jesus, okay. So Second Samuel chapter four is where we're going to start. We're going to do a lot of Bible reading tonight. I think you guys will be able to handle it. I think you guys are mature enough to handle this. Second Samuel four four. And Jonathan Saul's son had a son that was lame on his feet. He was five years old when he was uh, when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him and fled. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. And so what happens here is Mephibosheth, he he loses function of his feet. And the Bible says he became lame. He's someone who, who now depends on someone for everything in life. One might say he is weak, possessing no strength in and of himself. Okay, so let's fast forward the second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And so at this point, right, Saul was the first king. Well, David, David became the king over Israel. And, and at this point, David is like, Man, is there anybody left of the house of Saul? Anybody at all? Saul had died, Jonathan had died. And so that's where we pick up here. Verse 2 says, "And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they called uh, when they had called unto him David, or him unto David, the king said unto him, art thou Ziba?" And he said, "Thy servant is he." And the king said, "Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I might uh, may show the kindness of God unto him?" And Ziba said unto the king, "Jonathan hath yet a son." Which is lame on his feet, and the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir. M- Machir, I don't know. Machir, that's what we're going to go with. The son of uh, of Amiel of Lo debar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of uh, of Amiel of Lodabar. debar. Now when M- I'm not, I'm not clicking. Sorry. I was trying really hard to to say those names correctly. I can only do one thing at a time. So let's pick back up in verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, "This is thy servant. What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Man, Mephibosheth had that dog in him, you know. This is a beautiful picture of salvation, man. David, the king, wants to show the kindness of God to the family of his enemy, man." That, that reminds me a lot of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, who wanted to show the kindness of His Father to the children of His enemy, man. Man, did you understand that we are the children of the enemy? We were born in the image and likeness of our father, the devil, man. Of, we were born in the image of Adam. And it says we're of our, our of our father, the devil. And Jesus, man, He, he came to show the kindness of His Father, to the children of his enemies. So notice Mephibosheth's response. He knows that he's weak. He falls on his face in reverence towards David. And he he exclaims, Behold thy servant. He rightfully understands his place before David, humbling himself and submitting as a weak and lowly servant. Verse 9. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertaineth to Saul and all uh, and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's sons may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth thy servant's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. And so what we see here is that David gives Mephibosheth his daily provision, man. It's it's not it's not on you to make things happen. That's what we gotta understand. It's not your responsibility to force things to happen in your strength, man. There's something that that, that we love what we love to do is, man, we, we like to we like to feel good about ourselves and we think that we have some things figured out. And so we begin to to try and be the Holy Spirit, man. And we try to do things in our strength because, man, it's worked in the past. And we forget that it's because of of who who lives inside of us and who's done the work in our lives that we're able to make an impact. And so we begin to make things happen for ourselves. And we forget that our provision comes from the Lord, Lord, man. You see what happened here? Saul told Ziba, hey, you give everything of of the house of Saul unto, unto Mephibosheth. And you and your servants and your children, man, you you take care of this dude. Whatever he needs, I want you to provide for him. Verse 11. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth was a young son, or had a young son, whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and was lame on both his feet. Looky here, he 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 never he he never lost that he man he still needed the strength of the Lord man he was still lame on both his feet. But Mephibosheth's position changed. He was still, he still possessed no strength in and of himself. He still relied upon someone to take care of him at all times, but his position changed. He's now in a a position of honor at the king's table. He's, but yet he's still weak in the flesh. But David has provided him all that he needs. And so what we gotta get is that we must be like Mephibosheth. We gotta yield to the king as a servant. Even though you have been positioned at the king's table, man, you still need his reliance every day. Although your position changed, you're still reliant on the strength that comes from the Lord alone. Because just like Mephibosheth, man, we're laying on our feet. We need the Lord to move in our lives daily. You have no strength. And as we saw this morning, Jesus says, man, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything of value apart from the Lord. Nothing. Alright, so, so man, the first thing that we needed to do was realize that we don't have any strength, but, but man, we, we need to realize what our source of strength is. Realize your source of strength. Because our strength comes from the Lord. It is Jesus who set us at the King's table. It is Jesus who provided our daily bread. It is Jesus who strengthens us. Just like Mephibosheth, we are fortunate to be in the situation that we find ourselves in, man. It is all because of what Jesus did for us that we're able to dwell with the King. But we must stay grounded. Remain dependent on the grace of the Lord for for sustained strength. 2 Timothy 2.1 man. we're going we're, we're to keep harping on what it says here. 2 Timothy two one. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our spiritual sustenance hinges on our dependence in Christ. As we read these verses, man, we're, we're going to go through uh, to Colossians 3. And as we read these verses, I want you to watch. There's a progression that happens. I want you to understand the way that this thing breaks down. Because a lot of times as Christians, man, we love to do what what is said in Colossians 3, but sometimes we do it out of order. And hopefully the order will will bring some clarity for us in, in, in our journey of staying grounded. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth, on the right hand of God. So the first thing that God tells us to do here is to seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Now we, now we get to the part what, that we always... What, what we always like to do first, man. Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, and to which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. And so what I want you to see is that our natural desire is typically to go after the flesh in our own power, man. We, we, we recognize a problem in our life. We recognize a sin issue in our life. Man, I don't know what that is for you. I don't know if that's that's lying. I don't know if that's substance. I don't know if that's relationships, lust, whatever that may be. We recognize, man, that's not that, that doesn't belong in my life. And so our first inclination is to attack it, man, to mortify it. Man, so we read verse 5. And mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Go to war with the flesh, man. But but we totally forget what He told us before, man. First things first, seek the things above. Set your affection on things above, not on earthly things. Because once we've done that, man, then we have the, the strength and the power to mortify the flesh. We, this is a spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle. We go to war with the flesh in and through the power and strength of the Lord. Man, and I, I love this picture. You guys know the story of Peter walking on water? Okay, What so... Man, I, I oftentimes think about that, like the storms in life and, and, and the sin issues in, of life, man. A lot of times... Uh, we're, we're just like Peter, man. And, and and when Peter's looking at Jesus, what's he doing? He's, he's, he's doing the impossible, right? He's, he's walking on water. He's weathering the storm in his life. He's overcoming the obstacles, man. He's, the, the, limit, the physical limitations are removed and, he, and his weakness is, is stripped away from him because his eyes are fixed on Christ. The source of his strength is the Lord alone. And he's able to do the impossible, man. But, but what happens when, when Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, man? He, he, begins to do, he begins to do the battle in the flesh. He begins to realize and recognize what he's doing. And, he, and it freaks him out, man. Could you imagine? You're just like in the ocean. And, and you're walking on it. And then you realize what you're doing. Man, that's what, and and that's what happens in our life a lot of times. We take our eyes off of Christ and we try to fight the battle ourselves and just like Peter man, we begin to sink. And, and but man, first or Corinthians Colossians 3, man, it tells us it tells us the key to going to war with the flesh. And of course, I love this is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. It goes on to talk about putting off the new man and putting on the new man, but it all starts with setting our affection on the Lord, man, I've got to, I've got to get with the Lord. I've got to seek His counsel. I've got to rely on Him to be the source of my strength to overcome the flesh. Man, you can't overcome the flesh in the flesh. It's not possible. So let's check out Second Corinthians twelve. Paul keys, uh, keys us into the source of, of His strength, right? And, and the spoiler here is that it's the grace of the Lord. Second Corinthians twelve. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, so okay. So let me give you a little bit of context here. Paul is talking about um, he's talking about how God has, God has revealed some things to him. Paul's a special cat, man. Not not no, nobody else in history got the treatment that Paul got. He's an apostle out of due time that God called to reach you and me. God called him to, to reach the Gentiles. And so he he got some special treatment, man. Uh, he was discipled by Jesus Christ, man. And, and and so he's talking about this and he says, "...unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure." So Paul, Paul needed something to keep him in check, man. To let him know, hey... Uh, yeah, I, I, I did. I, I want to use you in this mighty way, but you're still just a man. You're still just a man. There's nothing. There's nothing special about you other than the fact that uh, you yielded yourself to me. But so God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Verse eight tells us, "For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me." And he said unto me, "Hey, Paul." My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Man, sometimes God doesn't want you to get over it. I know that's hard to hear, but sometimes God has a plan in and through the heartache. Sometimes God has a plan for you when it's hard and you can't see it. But my grace, Jesus says, is sufficient. It's the only thing that we have, man. Therefore, verse 10, I take pleasure in infirmities. Man, praise the Lord for for the infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You want to know the source of strength? It's your weakness. It's recognizing that, man, when you don't eat, you can't think about anything else. It's understanding your place in life. Man, we're we're human beings. God is way outside of our scope, but yet He still chooses to love us, man. And He gives us opportunities to serve Him, and and, and He loved us enough to send His Son, Jesus, to die for us. Man, so, so don't get too caught up in yourself and thinking that just because Jesus saved you, that you're, that you, that you're good, that you've got everything figured out, man. We gotta go to the source daily and understand that the grace of the Lord, man, that's, that's our strength. The grace of the Lord is sufficient. It's when you're weak that you're true, that you truly depend on the Lord, man, because if life's always roses, why do you need the Lord, man? That's why that's why our country is is just deteriorating at a rapid pace, man. Even the poorest of poor in our country is is in the top 10 percent of of wealth in the, in the world, man. We don't need God, man. I've got I've got uh, you know I've got Fortnite, man. I don't need God. I can distract my I can I can pacify myself till the end of time. I don't need the Lord to I don't need to depend on the Lord. I've got all these distractions to keep me pacified while life goes on around me. But man, we got to understand our weakness. We got to understand our source of strength. So when Paul was saying uh what Paul when Paul says to be strong in the, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, we are to recognize That the grace of God is the only source of our strength, man. It's the only source that we have. It is not dependent on me in any way. It's wholly dependent on Him. Strength comes in and through the Lord alone. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Okay, so last night we talked about how, man, in order to to be an enduring Christian, man, you got to know Christ. you got to get saved. And some of you in here today, man, you need to get saved. God's been stirring in your heart. Even now he's calling you to himself and you, you you man, you just can't get comfortable because you know that God is calling you to himself. You know that you need to be forgiven by the blood of the lamb. And the, and, and you know that you man, God's calling you to be saved. And that's great, but man, some of you are saved and you know the Lord but man, don't ever forget. Where, where, man, it's because of the Lord that you got saved. And you need to depend on the Lord every day for, your, for, for sustain, sustenance in life. So now we're going to shift gears. We're going we're gonna to talk about pass on what was passed on. Man, now we're moving on to one of the most crucial points of our time here. Discipleship is key if you are to be a faithful, enduring follower of Jesus. Because man, there's two things we got to understand. You need a mentor. And you need a mentee. These two points go hand in hand. You cannot have discipleship in the flesh. You, might, you, you, you may know some things, but discipleship is not about what you know. It's about yielding yourself to God and to what He said. The more you know, man, it's just more of an opportunity for you to yield. Discipleship's not about what you know. Second Timothy two two. This is a, this is a, a famous discipleship verse. But but again, let's let's not get lost in it. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. And so Paul's talking to Tim. Timothy's his disciple, and he says, Hey, man. The things that you, that, that I've shared with you, I need you to pass that along to faithful men. And you need to make sure that those faithful men, they're passing it along to others also. Because here's the thing, man. We're always one generation away from, from everything falling apart. Okay, look, I've got a bone to pick with, with people that, that always complain about the next generation. You, you know, like people always, the boomers, man, they're always upset at, at us, what us millennials, man. Those dadgum millennials, you know, and the millennials are like, man, those Gen Zers, I can't stand that type of conversation, man. I can't stand it because you know what? They what they really what what they're really saying is is we failed. Man, us boomers, we failed, man. That's what they're saying. They don't realize it though, right? Because the reason that us millennials are the way we are is because we, because you didn't, you didn't take my hand and show me. You didn't teach me how to be an adult. You didn't teach me right and wrong. You left me to my own devices, right? And, and, and Gen Z, man, you guys are the way you are because, man, man, discipleship failed. It's always, it's, it's always on the generation above, man. So we're always one generation away from no one following the Lord. And it's our responsibility to pass the torch, to teach others how to follow Jesus. And so the first thing we're going to look at is, man, you need a mentor. You need a mentor. Where am I at? Did I already pass that? Yeah, you need a mentor. 2 Timothy 2 2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Man, so Paul was Timothy's mentor. He was his, Paul was, was, the, he discipled Timothy. And, and their relationship was, was not simply that of a teacher and of a student, right? We saw just a minute ago in, in verse 1 that Paul considered Tim family. Paul considered Tim his son, right? So discipleship is not just, man, it's not just like meeting together and, and getting in the book. That's a very important and crucial role and aspect of discipleship. But man, it's a, it's a father-son relationship. Man, it's, it's a life-on-life. Life. It's, it's such a deep relationship, man. Paul is Tim's spiritual father. And the catalyst in my spiritual growth was having a mentor. And I, I'm standing here today... Because of the investment that Tony G had in my life, some of you may know Tony Godfrey, some of you may not, but man, if it weren't for the investment that he made in my life when I was, from the time I was 14 to today, man, I I couldn't tell you where I'd be. Because see, I was a kid. I don't know. Some of you may may identify with me. Some of you may not. But uh, I, I was born under a pew, man. My mom. Whenever she had me, she, we didn't go to the hospital, man. We just, we just went to the church, man. Because that's where we always were. Now, But, man, I, I was born and raised in the church. I wasn't actually born under a pew, but that would be kind of cool. Right? And so, I didn't care about any of this stuff, man. It's what my parents liked. You know, they just dragged me to church and... Anything my parents hated, man, I loved it. So that's why I liked heavy metal music and I loved to skateboard and all the things my parents didn't like, man. And uh, so when I'm 14, this dude moves in and, uh, man, he's he's this bald dude. And he tries to talk to me about how he used to skateboard and how he liked heavy metal. I'm like, shut up, man. I don't want to hear it. I'm not interested. And over the course of a few years, man, he just continued to love me. He just, he just made his way into my life. I didn't want it. I didn't want to be around him. He was my pastor. And, uh, man, that dude was just persistent to love me. And you know what I realized? He didn't care that, that I didn't care. He just loved me. He, he just loved me for who I was. He, I wasn't a project to Tony. And over the course of time, man, he began to get in the word with me. He would take me to Starbucks. We'd go to Barnes and Noble. We'd go to Starbucks. Man, that's the, that's the that's the ticket to my heart. Man, a little bit of coffee, a book, a good bookstore, and and we began to open the book. And before you know it, man, God began to move in my life. Man, he he all he did was reinforce what my parents were telling me. I wouldn't listen to them, but but man, I would listen to my mentor. He changed changed my life. I had I had dreams and aspirations of being a a rock star man <laughs> And then I met Tony And now I'm a preacher What, Man I'm telling you I would not be standing here today If it weren't for Tony Godfrey man, I, I can't understate How important and pivotal And I, I guarantee you All of the adults in here would testify The importance of their disciple in their life And what it means to them To have a mentor And you need one doesn't matter how old you are, you need a mentor. Discipleship is essentially, or is essential in all aspects of life if you want to succeed. Because here's what it is it's an opportunity to learn from someone who has already figured some things out. It's an opportunity to learn from mistakes without even having to make them. Listen, listen to this. If you don't get anything else from this camp, Listen, get this, right? I always, I always tell my students this: If you would just listen to, to like if, if you would listen to the advice that we give you, man, you'd be a lot better off. We, we've already made the mistakes so you don't have to. I know some of you won't listen to that, and you'll go and make, your own, you'll go and make the same mistakes that we did, but if you just listen, it'd save you a lot of heartache, man. Because, look, God allowed me to be an idiot, so you don't have to be. God allowed your pastors and, and and your youth counselors to be to make some foolish decisions in life, so that you don't have to. And just listen to them, man. Just listen, and that's what a disciple is, man. They they give you advice. They they made the mistakes so that you don't have to, and it's an opportunity for you to piece things together with the help of someone who has the answers that you're looking for. Man, it's essentially the Konami code of life. Please tell me you guys know what the Konami code is. Anybody? Oh, come on. It's the cheat code, man. What? Man, it's it's literally just the cheat code of cheat codes. So discipleship is the Konami code of life. Look it up. Konami code. If you play video games on Sega, it would change your life. Of course, it does not fix all of life's issues. It simply gives you the proper framework to navigate life biblically. Discipleship is not, it's not like the end all be all. It doesn't give you everything that you need, but man, it gives you a, the proper framework to navigate life in a biblical manner. As a matter of fact, we're all here today because of discipleship. I alluded to this this morning, but if it weren't for the investment that Jesus made into the boys, man, we most certainly would not be sitting here today. After Jesus left this earth, someone had to take up the mantle and continue the work. Without discipleship, man, we wouldn't even have the Bible. We wouldn't even have the Bible if it weren't for discipleship because the disciples, man, the apostles, they authored the the vast majority of the New Testament. Man, don't think about it as if it's just some program that your church has to offer. It's life on life. Someone showing you how to biblically follow Jesus. If you let it, discipleship will change your life. Man, don't get me wrong. The most important decision you can ever make is trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. But man, if you want to live a life, a prosperous life in Christ, you need a mentor. You need to get discipled. The Bible is full of examples of spiritual mentors. Elijah and Elisha. Paul and Timothy, Jesus and his boys. You can see his this principle all the way back in Exodus with Moses and Joshua. Right, we we see it carried out perfectly with Moses and Joshua. So, Joshua, um, he first shows up in Exodus 17, and at this point, it would appear that he has he's become Moses' right hand man, right? In Exodus 17, and by Exodus 24, we see that Joshua is referred to as Moses' minister. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the Mount of God. He's found in the tabernacle with Moses in Exodus 33:11. So he begins to engage in ministry with 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 Moses. Moses is taking him with him everywhere he goes. Man, he's teach He's showing him the ropes. He's training him up because Moses is going to die someday. And someone's got to lead the people. Moses takes Joshua along with him on his faith journey. Verse 11 of Exodus 33 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Listen, God wants to speak face to face with you in the book as a friend. That's incredible news. And he turned again unto the camp into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Joshua couldn't get enough. And finally, you can see that by the end of Deuteronomy Joshua, Moses' mentor, his disciple, will be taking over the reins, leading the people into the promised land. Verse thirty or Deuteronomy thirty one, one. And Moses went and spake these words unto all of Israel. And he said unto them, I am an hundred and twenty years old this day. And I can no more go in and co- uh, go out and come in, as the Lord hath said unto me, thou shalt go not go over this Jordan, and the Lord thy God he will go over before thee, and he will destroy these nations from before thee, and thou shalt possess them. And Joshua, he shall go before thee, as the Lord hath said. And so, what we see in the story of Moses, uh, Josh, Moses and Joshua is is the power of discipleship. It is apparent that Joshua was taken under the wing of Moses and shown how to lead the people. And as a result, Joshua is able and ready to be used by God to lead the people. Man, imagine imagine what it would have been like if Moses just would have died. I mean, I can't tell you the number of Israelites at this time, but man, imagine a multitude of people with no leader. Imagine if Moses would have just taken what he, taken what he knew to the grave. And those, those people would have perished in the, in, the, in the desert, man. But Moses knew he needed to make a disciple. He needed to train up a Joshua, man. You need a Moses in your life. You need to have a Paul in your life. Someone to come alongside you and teach you the Word of God someone to teach you how to follow Jesus with your life. You need a spiritual mother or father. Right? And so man, if you, if you if you need a mentor, if you needed someone to come alongside you and show you how to follow Jesus, man, seek out your counselors today. Seek out your youth leaders and I guarantee you they can they can they can put you on the right path of man having someone to, to pour into you. It's so important. I can't understand it. And the next thing we need to see is that you need a mentee. Right? You need to begin to invest in somebody. Because look, my mom used to always tell me this, Mason, don't be a constipated Christian. Right? You know what you know what that means. You know what it means to be constipated, right? You're just you're just consuming but you're never getting rid of anything, right? And so a lot of times in the faith, we just consume, man. We love having Bible studies. We love, we love just, just getting the word. But man, if we don't do something with it, if we don't begin to share it with others, man, we just get backed up. And you know what happens when you get backed up, man? You just feel terrible, and you begin to stink. So you need a mentee. You need someone to invest in. After you have been walk, uh, have been walking with someone in discipleship, the time comes for you to pass it on. This is where discipleship truly begins to take root in your life when you begin to instill it in someone else. Because after after uh, it was passed down from Paul to Timothy, it's man, Timothy is to pass it on to faithful men. He says, "...the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also." So Paul tells Tim to take the things that he taught has taught and passed them on because it, this is so important it is essential that we're always investing in the next generation because again without without this this next generation man some we're, we're just going to drop the ball we're just going to drop the ball and we don't want to do that don't let that happen heed Paul's advice and pass this, pass on the stuff Another key principle to grasp is found in 1 John 2.6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. I told you guys this morning about how 1 John just... God used that book to, to speak to me for the first time in my life. And whenever I read this verse for the first time, man, it shook me. He that saith he abideth in him... Right, so we're talking about Jesus if you say that you're a Christian if you say that you know Christ if you say that you're abiding in Him you ought to walk just as He walked man you should look just like Him your life should be like Christ you should reflect Christ to the world do what Jesus did so that's the principle you got to get just do what Jesus did you want to know what you should do with your life just do what Jesus did it's in the name, Christian so what did Jesus do? Well, He made disciples. He demonstrated His priority by, by what He did with His life. And, and what, we, what we find as we study the life of Jesus is, man, He made disciples. He first demonstrated it for us, but then He commanded us to do so. We, we read it this morning, so I'm not going to read it again. But, man, not only did Jesus demonstrate making disciples, but He commanded us to do the same. Listen, we, we, the God that we serve, He's not just He's not just barking orders, man. He came to demonstrate it for us firsthand, so that we could understand, so that so that we could know that He's a, a merciful and faithful High Priest, man, that He can relate with us because He first went and did it for us to show us what He what he, His expectations were, and we must take up the torch. We must invest in others as we were first invested into. Now, I know that a lot of you are not in a place to make disciples, and that's okay. And honestly, that like I wouldn't expect a lot of you to be at a spot where you're ready to start mentoring and, and making disciples. That's okay. However, I would encourage you to take a step of faith and talk to your pastors and leaders about mentorship or discipleship, whatever that may look like in your church whatever that may look like cuz some of us man we just need to take a step of faith and get saved. Man, we just man we know God's calling us and we just need to get saved. Some of us man, we need we need to take our faith seriously and we got saved at camp last year or we got we 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 got saved in the past, but man we just need to take that next step of faith and begin to Man, to recognize that man, I can't do anything without him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we need to begin to to rely on the grace of the Lord in our life to be our strength. Man, some of us, man, we need we need to get it. Man, begin to pray about someone mentoring us. Man, just whatever that step may be for you, I, I would encourage you to take that next step. My disciple put it this way for me. You always need someone pouring into you and you always need to be pouring into someone else. These are the pillars of the enduring Christian life. So in conclusion, do you see the progression that we're we're working on here? The enduring Christian starts with a genuine, unfeigned faith. And that faith is sustained and strengthened by the grace of the Lord. And it's cemented through the process of discipleship by the investment of others in our lives, and our lives into others. And so, man, we're building a case um, for what what it looks like to be an enduring Christian. And like I said, man, we, we need to make some decisions tonight. We need, we need to step out in faith and just trust the Lord, man. Whatever that next step may look like for you, man, I would encourage you and contemplate that and pray about that. Lord, we come before you tonight man i'm so thankful for your word i don't have to wonder what you've called me to all i've got to do is is read read the bible and you show us you show us your plan man you show us everything that you've called us to and i'm so thankful for that lord and i'm so thankful to know that that you have have made a way for me to be your son and lord i pray for any student out there tonight that uh, they don't they're not your son. They're not your daughter. Lord, I pray that today, they would, man, they would get that right. They would reconcile that. And they would understand that, that you're calling them to salvation, Lord. And for for those that, that know you, Lord, I pray that they would take that next step of faith. They would just trust you with their lives, God. Because what else do we have? And Lord, I pray that, man, that you would just do the work that only you can do tonight. God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Keep your the earlier, even before we started the preaching and the the couple of things that really stood out. have